Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is uh, class 10 in our 14 class structured study of the Noble Dhamma practice. And so we're looking at um, individual sutras that describe each aspect of the Four Noble Truths and now uh, each factor of the Eightfold Path. Uh, this class tonight is on right speech and true compassion. Uh, it's called the Abhaya Sutta. And it's interesting because it, um, it throws water on the myth that an awakened human being will never ever do anything that might upset other people. In other words, it also it has to be a very pacifying um, type of practice that uh, no one would ever take offense to. And of course, a teacher sometimes has to point out to students when they're way off base. And Siddhartha Gautama didn't like doing that any more than I like doing it or our other teachers. But if you're going to be a Dhamma teacher, at times you have to say things that to others might appear to be unendearing and disagreeable. But that's where courage and wisdom comes in. Uh, this is really one of the, another one of those suttas that I say is so important. Um, but because of this, because it, it, it kind of throws water on that myth that we're, that a, a Dhamma practitioner, a true Buddhist, should be always pious and never say anything that someone might take offense. That's not true. Right speech and true compassion, the Abhaya Sutta. On one occasion, the Buddha was staying at the squirrel sanctuary in the bamboo forest near Rajagaha. A local prince, Prince Abhaya, went to the Jain, the Ganta Nataputta. The Jain religion during the Buddhist time um, was uh, established and very popular. And over time, people have said the Jain religion is basically the same as the Buddhist religion. Uh, Jainism is still practiced today. And Jain, the, the Jain religion has nothing to do with what the Buddha taught. They're, they, they completely contradict each other. And this, uh, the sutta kind of explains that. The prince approached Naganta Nataputta, bowed and sat to one side. Naganta Nataputta said to Prince Abhaya, if you were to refute the teachings of the mighty and powerful Gautama the Contemplative, an admirable reputation of you will spread far. So he, he's already mocking uh, Gautama, the Buddha. Nataputta says, Venerable Sir, how will I refute the teachings of the mighty and powerful Gautama? Come now, Prince. Gautama the Contemplative is at the squirrel sanctuary in the bamboo forest near Rajagaha. When you see him, ask him this. Would you say words that are not endearing or are disagreeable to others? If he answers that he would say words that are not endearing or disagreeable to others, then you should say to him that how is there any difference between you and ordinary run-of-the-mill teachers, run-of-the-mill people, people? However, Prince, if Gautama the Contemplative answers that he would not say words that are not endearing or disagreeable to others, then you say to him, then why did you say that Devadatta is headed for deprivation, a living hell beyond redemption? Why? Because that was the truth about Devadatta. It was simply the truth. Devadatta was upset at these words. 
So the Buddha, David Dada was a Buddha's cousin, by the way. And he was trying to save David, David Dada's mind and David Dada's life. But David Dada didn't listen to the Buddha. And so that's why he said that he's headed for a life of deprivation and a living hell. Because that was true. Um, these two paragraphs show what happens when you, when you live within polarizing views. Sometimes you hear me describe that as the prison of two ideas. And so you're either stuck and it has to be this way or that way. So here, the, the, the prince is insisting that the Buddha's answer has to be one or the other, or he doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course, nothing is further from the, two, the truth. When you ask Gautama the contemplative this two-pronged question, he won't be able to swallow it or spit it out. It will be as if he swallowed a two-horned chestnut that became stuck in his throat because the Buddha would be so confused he wouldn't be able to answer or have a reasonable answer to this. Prince Abaya responds, as you say, Lord, he left Naganta Nataputta with respect and went to the Buddha. On arrival, he bowed and sat to one side. As the prince was sitting with the Buddha, he thought, this is not the time or place to confront Gautama the contemplative. I will invite him to my home and refute his words there. So he's looking for um, a familiar ground to do this. He wants to get the Gautama into his house. So he says, great teacher, would you join me with three of your Sangha members for tomorrow's meal? The Buddha accepted the offer by his silence. The prince left with a show of respect. The next day, the Buddha adjusted his inner robe and took his alms bowl and outer robe and left for Prince Abaya's home. Upon arrival, he sat on a seat prepared for him. Prince Abaya served the Buddha and his friends a lavish meal. The Buddha finished his meal and removed his hand from his bowl. The prince then sat on a lower seat to one side of the Buddha and addressed the Buddha. Would you say words that are not endearing or disagreeable? The Buddha responds, there is no categorical categorical yes or no answer. The Buddha was not going to let himself be stuck in the prison of two ideas. Well, Gautama, you have just refuted the Nagantas. Just yesterday, Naganta Nataputta told me to find you and ask you if you would use words that are not endearing or disagreeable. He said you would choke on the answer as if you had swallowed a two-horned chestnut. At that time, a baby was lying on the prince's lap. The Buddha asked the prince, if this baby were neglected and swallowed a piece of gravel, what would you do? The prince said, I would remove it. If I could not remove it easily, I would hold his head with one hand and reach into the baby's throat to remove the stone. This may hurt the baby, but it would save his life. I would do this out of sympathy for the baby. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be false, unendearing, disagreeable, or not helpful in developing the Dhamma, I do not say that. That's noble silence. So noble silence is not somebody who just agrees to stay silent for a day or a week or the rest of their life. Noble silence is informed by right speech. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be true, but likewise unendearing, unendearing disagreeable, or not helpful in developing the Dhamma, I do not say that. So if a word is un unendearing, or disagreeable and not helpful in developing the Dhamma, the wise Dhamma teacher keeps his mouth shut, practices noble silence. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be true, unendearing, disagreeable, 
but helpful in developing Dhamma with a sense of the proper time, then I do say them. And we went through that right here in the Sangha a little over a year ago. I think some of you will remember. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. But there was um, a series of classes where whoever was sitting in this seat had to address someone in an unendearing and disagreeable way. But it led to a solidification of the Sangha. Is that true for everyone that was part of that? You would agree with that? And there's other times when you've heard me say things um, that you might say are, are disagreeable with someone. But I'm in, a, I'm in a role, and I don't like that. I, I was, uh, I'm my father's son. My father had a great fear of confrontation, and I followed in his footsteps. I don't like confronting others. But it's the role that I've taken on and our other Dhamma teachers take on. And so hopefully we've developed the wisdom along with that to know when, when is the proper time to say that. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be false, not helpful in developing the Dhamma, but are endearing and agreeable, I do not say them. Think about that. The Buddha doesn't offer false praise to someone or just try to make someone feel good because what are we doing? What am I doing if I do that? I'm taking away that, that other person's opportunity to learn the Dhamma. When someone is in distress, it's not helpful to say, oh, you poor dear, things will get better because I know that things won't get better unless that person changes their mind. So it's not helpful as a Dhamma teacher to just lead people along or make them feel good. Another way that that manifests in our Sangha is we, we teach suttas and nothing else. We would probably have 30 or 40 people here tonight and every night if we had a, a catch-all type of New Age Tuesday night and just did a lot of different things that were agreeable to people but have nothing to do with the Dhamma. So we like to develop the Dhamma and practice the Dhamma. That's why we keep it focused like this. Some of the people that come through here find what we say disagreeable and not endearing. But we're not going to change the Dhamma just to satisfy people. Why? Because an awakened human being said that's foolish. And it is. Is everybody following me so far? Does anybody have any questions about this? And it's okay if you don't, if you want to be disagreeable with me. We're all good? Yeah. So I have to print it out and, and, and kind of see, you know, where which way he was he was turning here, you know, whether the statement was true or false, whether it was endearing or not endearing. Um, but it always came down to, is it helpful for the person? And yeah. uh, is it helpful in teaching the Dhamma? Yeah, that's it. And that's the only criteria as a Dhamma teacher and as, or, and as a practitioner, by the way. You know, we, we don't get into other things just to make other people feel good either. That we're talking about the Dhamma practice. It's easy to get, get sidetracked by that expression out of sympathy, but it goes a little deeper than oh, you, poor, true sympathy. oh you poor dear. Yeah, I really care about you and I, I want you to awaken in this lifetime right here and right now. And sometimes that <laughs> dukkha even occurs in during Dhamma practice, doesn't it? Even mm -hmm. for Dhamma teachers and teaching the Dhamma. We went through a, a really upsetting incident, you know, a week or so ago. It's just part of Dhamma practice. So again, if if the Buddha taught something that was a way to escape human life, then you could say, yeah, I expect to never have any kind of upset in my life ever again. But as a, a Dhamma practitioner who's developing Dhamma, I know that dukkha occurs. That's what that's what. My teacher taught me the first noble truth is dukkha occurs. He didn't say if you meditate for a little while, 
and you, you memorize an eightfold path, you'll never have another upsetting moment. He never promised that. He just said that we can understand it. And we do, don't we? We understand it. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be true, endearing and agreeable, but are not helpful in developing the Dhamma, I do not say them. In the same way, out of sympathy for others, words that I know to be true, endearing and agreeable, and are helpful in developing the Dhamma, with a sense of the proper time, I do say them. So the proper time for me is in class, and very, very rarely, unless I'm talking to a student, do I just mention anything about Buddhism. Sometimes in a doctor's office, because people people ask me why you know why they're so calm, why you're smiling when I'm giving you this awful news, you know, because I meditate a lot at home. But really, I mean, there's this is where we practice the Dhamma, and we're not evangelicals. We're not taking it out into the world, but people that are interested, we present it in this way, and we should be fearless in that. Lord, when others have questions for you and approach you. Do you know how you will answer or do you formulate, this is so important, or do you formulate a response in the moment? say. I will counter question you, Prince. Answer how you see fit. Are you skilled in the parts of a chariot? Yes, I'm skilled in the parts of a chariot, answered the Prince. Well, Prince, when people ask you about the parts of a chariot, do you know how you will answer or do you formulate a response in the moment? Great teacher, I am known as an expert on the parts of a chariot, and as such, I formulate a response in the moment. Prince Abaya, in the same way, when others question me, I formulate a response in the moment. You've heard me talk about that, how the Buddha is able to reach people where they are, no matter where, no matter what, where, and when. Because he's not, um, excuse me. He doesn't presuppose what his dhamma should be in any situation. He had this incredible ability to listen and observe people. Why? Because he was free of his own sense of eye making. He could see other people clearly. Even during the Buddhist time, there were those that said the Buddha is clairvoyant because he could read people so easily. But he wasn't. And he never claimed to have any kind of special powers. But he knew stress and suffering. And he knew how it arose and passed away in people. So that's how he addressed people at that point of dukkha arising in them. But before we can understand dukkha arising in others, we have to understand it in ourselves first, doesn't it? That's why I say the most loving thing I can do for myself and all others is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Because once I understand my own stress, my own dukkha, then I can understand you. And only then. Prince Abaya in the same manner, when others question me, I formulate a response in the moment. I formulate a response in the moment because I thoroughly understand the Dhamma. And all of us other Dhamma teachers know that too. We can teach the Dhamma in this way. When this was said, Prince Abaya replied, Magnificent, Lord, magnificent. It is, if you, it is as if you have set upright what was overturned, revealed what was hidden, shown a clear path to one lost, and carried a lamp in the darkness for those with eyes to see. Through my, many lines of reasoning, you have made the Dhamma clear. I take refuge in the Buddha, your Dhamma, and the Sangha. Remember me as a follower from this day forward. The end of the sutra. Um, so as we develop the Dhamma and develop the Eightfold Path, we learn that even the 
moral and ethical factors of the path, right speech, right action, right livelihood, aren't what we would assume them to be at first glance. And so this sutta is talking about um, an aspect of speech that requires great understanding and great courage. The courage to speak something that is disagreeable or unagree or disagreeable or endearing to people. But also remember that doesn't mean that you should go look for ways to say this. But when you're living within a dhamma, and even if the other person isn't a dhamma practitioner, you don't allow yourself to be manipulated by your own need to please. Because that's manipulating the other person isn't. And it's introducing dukkha in your own mind. So sometimes as wise dhamma practitioners, we are disagreeable with people. It's interesting, like as a teacher, that fine line of encouraging and are you dismissing a, a student's being off point or trying to accommodate their practice? And how do you gently balance that? And I just found that stay within the faithful path. Yeah. And that kind of keeps me like trying to please and or encourage for the sake of encouraging versus sometimes you have to you know, point out that you know, there has to be better effort. Yeah. And that's, and it's interesting it, because I'm not a natural teacher and I'm sure there are techniques to do that, but all I can fall back on, not all, but yeah. stay full path. Yeah. It, it, thanks for bringing, saying that. Did everybody hear what David said? And so it, I, I, we, and as the sutta pointed out, the Buddha is an expert in the Dhamma and that's how he can know the, how to speak this way with a right sense of time. But also don't get me wrong, right speech is mostly gentle and pleasant speech. Even when it's disagreeable, it's still gentle speech, but it might not be, it might be something that someone else doesn't want to hear and you know it, but this is, this is also right speech. Um, I would bet every one of you um, has found at least one thing I've said disagreeable. <laughs> I looked at Ram when I said when I finished saying that. But again, that that's just that's it. And I think every would would you all agree that I pissed you off sometimes? I do it out of sympathy for you. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you. Especially you. I've been more sympathetic to you. I'm pointing it wrong. All right, let's go around the room. Brian, how are you tonight? Dhamma teacher Brian. I'm good. Thank you. Um it's really interesting listening to this tonight um, and, and just realizing how much I've integrated this into my professional management style. Yeah, wow. Um, where I'm, I'm in a position within a firm where I routinely have to have difficult conversations, uh, routinely have to have conversations with people about about themselves um, and that that is never comfortable for anybody. Um, but what I have found is that what, what David just said, the staying in the frame of the eightfold path, mindful of speech, mindful of your intention. Yep. Um, mindful of your intention, doesn't it? Right, mindful of your delivery and the effort behind that delivery, the timing and the 
there's just so many factors that this this eightfold path augments and and directly supports coming into those challenging managerial situations that have just been I can't put a price on that. Yeah. And any and everyone around you too, you know, your whole team. That's right. No, I'm I'm able to better develop and mentor talent than I ever have been before. Yeah. And what a what a um a practical um expose of the Dhamma, isn't it? In just that practical way. It should be that way. That's right. Absolutely. What, what, what would be the value of your practice if you couldn't bring it out into the world? Thomas Merton used to say, it's okay to spend 10 years on top of a mountain meditating, but at some point you got to go back to the marketplace. And what he meant is it's got to, whatever you're doing has got to work out in the real world, but it's not of any real value. That was a great explanation of it. Thank you, Brian. Hello, Jeff. Oh, John. Hello, everybody. Um, that was well said, Brian. Um, I too deal with lots of situations similar to that. And I, and, and it requires some skillful communication, skillful right speech. Yeah. And I, I find that in, in the setting I work in, I stay within a certain spirit of the Dhamma without necessarily being able to directly address it. Um, and it's interesting in almost every case, it's very effective. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable really, because there's some pretty hardcore cases out there that I have to deal with. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so yeah, true and helpful is, uh, is a yes and endearing and disagreeable is almost not relevant yeah. other than you need to provide some avenue of communication rather than upset people emotionally yeah that's right and in in this way we're helping people to reclaim their mind was that was that your train jeff yeah yeah that's the uh, the nightly one okay thank, <laughs> thank you for jeff. the teaching my pleasure thank you for being here hello jane hey john um my practice has helped me to understand that it's not my job to make people feel better to say things to make people feel better it's it's just to be present in the moment and you know respond appropriately and you're right it is very stressful when you think you have to you know make people feel better and say pleasing things and so thank you yeah thank you jane hello julia what are you smiling about <laughs> i just meditate a lot <laughs> 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 Good answer. That was right. That was right speech. <laughs> I love this. Uh, everything that everyone said is great. Um, I'm not just saying that to please you guys, <laughs> but that's why I'm smiling. <laughs> um, I agree. And uh, I don't have much to say besides every time the Buddha replies when someone speaks to him, it's. <laughs> It's just so gentle and yeah. and neutral. And I mean, I've never been offended by anything that he said. So <laughs> I, it's remarkable. There's, there's no there's no I in it, is there? <laughs> it's, but he could be quite harsh. 
Oh, yeah. Times. Yeah. Uh, I remember the famous one where one of the monks was caught <clears throat> um, trying to impregnate his ex-wife. And the Buddha came straight out and said, it would have been better if you stuck that thing into the mouth of a, of a snake. Yeah. You know, as far as you know, what, what damage he had done to his to his uh, to his practice. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the Buddha was a, a, yeah, a man of the world. He, yeah, yeah he, he certainly didn't didn't pull any punches there. Yeah. But it was still it was out of sympathy. It was correct. Because you realized how you know what what a for himself. Not so much what what. What he had done for for his family because of one thing, but um, how badly he had injured himself yeah. in the Dharma, yeah. in his practice. Well, and notice that's a sutta I never teach. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that snake. <laughs> you, did you have anything else? No, thanks, John. Thanks for joining us tonight, Jennifer. Could I turn the camera on you? Here's Jennifer. Thank you so much for the teaching. Um, this is the first place that I've started using my practice was with the um, always trying to be pleasing, you know, say just whatever anybody wanted to hear, just to be nice, yeah. you know, and in my mind, through my life, you know, um, I've always cared about being genuine, but my eyes have opened to how disin how disgenuine that is. What a great understanding. Yeah, and it, it and, and I feel like. I just got the sense within myself that it, it, it does that person and myself a disservice and it doesn't feel good anymore. It's just the yeah. happening. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it feels disingenuous, yeah. you know. Um, I have to say that's the first place without even fully realizing. I mean, understanding a little bit about what great speech is, but that just And I think, you know, given my history and my life experience, it was um, something I did so I could fly under the radar yeah. of a lot of certain situations. People won't notice you. If people won't notice you, you won't rock the boat, confrontation won't happen, just smile, be nice, and say, yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and even in simple things like compliments, I just don't throw them out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about them twice. Like, what is your purpose for that compliment? Because you want that person to think this way about you. Yep. You know. And there's the eye making. Yeah, and the, the, the eye making in it. You know, and um, and I've become become uncomfortable with that. You know, which is the good thing. That's great. That's a. That's, yeah. That's chanda. Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Even sukha, you know, sukha is the opposite of dukkha. It's human flourishing, and you are—you're liberating your, yourself That's with that word. understanding, aren't you? Yeah. And you're liberating yourself from your previously held wrong views. Yeah. Pure dhamma. Yeah. Yeah. And the only time I did it in the past was if I got angry. You know, 
oh, you know, stop being this nice or whatever, but yeah. that's not how it's happening. And you were feeding a persona when you were saying that to yourself too. Yeah. You, know, you were going to become another type of fabrication, a forceful person now to overcome my, my yeah. passivity. Yeah. And it's still just a, it's just this thing that we're holding out and hoping people notice. Yeah. So Rather I'm than myself saying, but I'm just not going to say anything at all. Yeah. yeah. And I think most human beings, unless, and I'm talking about the great majority of human beings, there's some who are pathologically, very few of them, incapable of being gentle and kind and loving with each other. But most human beings want to be that way. Right. But we don't know how to do it all the time. We get all <clears throat> screwed up in our heads when we act out of anger or when we when we're rooted in this people pleasing mentality. Yeah. And most of our life is like that. And that's always disappointing to the people pleaser, isn't it? And yeah. mostly uh, not that agreeable with the people we're trying to please either. because they No, feel like, because there really is underneath it all of anybody's paying attention when you walk away from it or you hang up the phone or you, you disconnect. You know, instinctively somehow that you just did that dance. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. Yeah, that's dukkha. Yeah. Yeah, a little kind of ugly little thing that you carry around mm -hmm. with you. You don't yeah. know where it's coming from. It's yeah. coming from even when you have you like the right intentions. Yeah. It's still. So that's been very, very eye-opening. Yeah. That's dharma practice. Thank you. Good for you, Jennifer. Thank you. Brett, I know you don't mind. You like being on camera. <laughs> Uh, good to be here. Uh, thanks for your teaching. Um, get a lot out of what everybody's saying, and I'm going to take no silence. Glad you're here, my friend. Now I'm a teacher, Rob. This is a, uh, the subject of the right speech. Is so important in, in a practice because <clears throat> every time you have an exchange with anybody in your life, um, it comes into play. Mm -hmm. And if you forget, uh, you'll you'll regret what you what you what you've done, what you've said, yeah. um, and, and to be. Because there's, there's this, you know, the one thing that, that uh, I've noticed a few times that there are some people that, that make a uh, point of always telling the truth. And um, for a while, I thought that was the answer to, to having, you know, to, to all relationships. You know, whether, if it's not helpful. Yeah, business or, or, or personal. And... Doesn't at all work. Doesn't at all work. Because um, if if it's not done out of that deep sympathy for for the other person, you know, really um, being concerned about their their awakening, you know, eventually, yeah. or even just to leave someone in peace is yeah. part of that too. You know, I, I get into a you know, I have a lot of uh, contact with with uh, with customers. Um, you know, I, I'm there to solve their problems, yeah. and <clears throat> at times I just happen to give them the bad news. You know, this can't be fixed. 
yeah. or I can't fix this, or you know what just happened was was a fluke. You know, you may think that I just ruined something there, but this is really what happened. Yeah. Um, and there just there's nothing but aspects of of right speech in there, one way or the other. Yeah. Whether you tell somebody, whether you don't tell somebody, um, it's um, this is a constant test. I mean, this is how, how the, the Eightfold Path, you know, especially the, the, uh, the, the virtuous factors are this, this constant test. You know? yeah. are, are you in the Dhamma or not? You know, is, your, is your intention? Is your intention here? Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, that's where the, 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 the everyday minute-to-minute uh, dialogue practice happens yeah. in, in right speech. Yeah. It, it, thank you, Ron. If you want to know the quality of your mind, just look at what's coming out of your mouth, because that will always reveal what you're truly holding in mind. You know? And the same thing is about right action. You know, If you want to know what you're holding in mind, look at what you're doing in your life. Krishnamurti used to say, look at the life you're living, meaning really look at it. Is it the life that you want to live? Are you practicing these principles, right speech, right action, right livelihood? If you're not, why not? Why aren't you doing it? Dharma teacher David? It, it really is a, the virtuous factors are the, the litmus test of the other, how the other factors are being applied. Is it right view, right intention? Is it right? Yeah. Is it what the Buddha's... In accordance with the Dharma. In the tools of meditation and the refined mindfulness put you in a position to have those virtuous factors in line, but only because those are shaped by right view. It's, it's so interesting how the the virtuous factors are just simply the mirror. Yeah. It's the really is what I'm doing based on, these tools that the Buddha gave us of right meditation, right mindfulness, and is it shaped by right view and right intention? So therefore everything else will be seen in your, your, your actions and your words. And why is restraint is such a, such an interesting aspect of it because it's, it's, allowing for it's not perfect but it's telling you why wise restraint is is so necessary yeah so thank you yeah because wise restraint is what liberates ourselves from ourselves and the world earlier about whether they're in in teaching whether there's some kind of teaching technique that that you could use Um, and there isn't because it's all that would all be too crude yeah again if it doesn't go straight back to to uh, right speech um, and and no known teaching technique uh, does that. Yeah, you can shape a room by teaching techniques, mm-hmm. but is it oh, yeah. is it shaped by the Eightfold Path? Yeah. And if it is, then those techniques are awesome. Yeah. You know, but it, if not, you're kind of being manipulative of of mm-hmm. your talents of being able to be persuasive. Yeah. So and, and, I'm sorry. Yeah, it just it. it it is really interesting how just developing as a as a Donald student uh, how important it is to really understand how these eight you know 
full path works together. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a complete practice, yeah. you know, it's, uh, and it, it has to be all eight. Meaning yeah, it's not just meditation and it's not some other type of meditation. It's jhana meditation within the, uh, the entirety of the Eightfold mm -hmm. Path that allows us to live in this moment liberated from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. That's the whole point of this structured study in our Dhamma is to see it this way. Mm -hmm. Thank you, baby. Dhamma teacher Matt. John, good to be here. Really liking what I'm hearing from the Sangha tonight. Yeah. Um, we haven't, this sutta, we've only done, I mean, this might be the second time we've ever done this sutta. I think the second or third, but yeah. it's wild. Um, and it's a really good one. And, you know, I, 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 we always hear that, that old saying, you know, the truth hurts or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it can, yeah. you know, if, you know, if, if it's, uh, if our attachment to delusion is is very strong, then it's going to hurt. Yeah. You know? um, mm. And it takes a lot of courage for someone to deliver that in that way. Yeah. Um, so if we can if we can be that for ourselves and for our sangha and community, then I think that's a good thing. I think cool. Yeah. Thanks, John. Thank you, Matt. I mean, we. Right speech is right speech, right action, and right livelihood is really what guides this sangha as well, you know. And and the eightfold path guides the sangha, and it guides our lives, you know. And it is in this way, directly through the eightfold path, the entirety of the eightfold path, that we liberate ourselves, not from the world, but from being entangled in the world. But we're liberating ourselves from our lo our own lack of understanding of the first noble truth. That stress occurs in all of, it, all of its manifestations. And Jennifer described it. We all, I mean, it was a really great class, but you described it so clearly. Seeing it at that point of contact, you saw yourself doing it and you stopped. That's, that's pure Dhamma practice. And it doesn't get any better than that. Mm. It's just, Dhamma practice is just that ongoing. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. And when we remind ourselves of the impersonality of my encounter with you, then I can treat you with, with true gentleness and love and kindness. And it might seem disagreeable to you, but that's just the way it is. That's how mature human beings act in that way. They're able to do that. So great class. Any other questions or comments before we close with Meta? So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, 
may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace, everyone. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Bye. Good night. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.